A brand's purpose and proposition can't just be a shiny marketing promise with no substance um, because that's not going to last and people are going to see through it. So it really has to infuse all aspects of a company's DNA and the end-to-end customer experience across all channels and touch points. Welcome to CMO Masterclass, a podcast dedicated to understanding what makes the world's best marketers tick, their views on customers, markets, brands, technology, and the threats and opportunities they see on the horizon. I'm Phil Huzzard, Agency Principal of DPR and Co Melbourne. Thanks for joining me. Let's get the show on the road. Welcome to the second edition of CMO Masterclass. And today I'm speaking with Kelly Johnston, one of Australia's most experienced marketers. Now, until recently, Kelly held the role of Chief Marketing Officer for Australian Unity, a $2 billion national wellbeing company with more than 7,000 employees, providing services to a million customers, including 400,000 members. Kelly was instrumental in Australian Unity's transition from what was really a second-tier health insurer and legacy financial services mutual into one of the nation's leading diversified wellbeing companies. Kelly's also a board member of Movember, a global men's health charity that has raised more than a billion dollars since being founded in 2003 and has funded more than 1,200 projects in support of prostate cancer, testicular cancer and mental health and suicide prevention. My company had the privilege of working with Kelly and her team when Australian Unity undertook a major $114 million acquisition of the New South Wales government's home care services business. In particular, it's NDIS-related business, where we produce some wonderful and industry-leading work together. Kelly, welcome to CMO Masterclass. Thank you for the warm welcome, Phil. It's great to chat with you. So, Kelly, your seven years at Australian Unity saw you rise through the executive ranks to where you were setting AU's marketing agenda as a total brand. Can you give us a quick history of your career before and during the time at AU? I'll just scoot through pretty quickly and and I kind of just organically made my way, I suppose, into where I am today. So after uni, I started my career in media and broadcasting with a small publishing company in Albert Park, actually, that produces, amongst others, ad news. And I then moved to what's now Seven West Media, so Channel 7 and then Pacific Magazines, now Bauer. I then made my way into sports and entertainment and spent three very fun-filled years at Melbourne and Olympic Parks, which is home to the Australian Open amongst many other things. And then kind of accidentally made my way into non-profit land, which are tough categories to work in. And I worked for many years for a couple of global non-profits, specifically Red Cross and Make-A-Wish Australia. And then found myself at Australian Unity, where, as you say, I sort of moved through a range of roles in my time there. So at Australian Unity, I started off heading up marketing for one of the business platforms, which comprised a range of verticals spanning aged care, home care, uh, retirement living, disability services, amongst others. And from there, and as you stated, we did some fantastic work with you and the DPR and co team. I moved into a group role looking after brand and building out really, I guess, the brand function in much greater depth and and building the first content capability for the organisation. And from there, marketing came into my portfolio and um, spent my last year at Australian Unity as CMO. 
One of the things that I vividly remember about your management style when we were engaged in a, a pretty major project with you, it was your drive for alignment between the organizational purpose and its value promise and the way it behaves in market. Can you expand on your passion for that deep level of in corporate integrity? Yeah, of course. And look, interestingly, most of the work that I did and that I'm really proud of at Australian Unity was building the brand from the inside out and building it from the inside out to your point with a recognition that a brand's purpose and proposition can't just be a shiny marketing promise with no substance um, because that's not going to last and people are going to see through it. So it really has to infuse all aspects of a company's DNA and the end-to-end -end customer experience across all channels and touch points. And for us at Australian Unity, you know, that was a really long and still ongoing journey to get it right. And we had to start from the inside to really sort of look at where do we have permission to talk? Are we going to do what we say we will do? And does our promise show up in all of our interactions, not just with our customers and members, but also with our people? And to the question of, I guess, what drives that for me, you know, I have a a personal passion that, you know, it's one of my core values as a person, that honesty, transparency and integrity are really core to how I go about my life. And, you know, to drive a function where we're putting up a promise to the world, it was really important to help the business understand at all levels that needed to infuse everything that we do. Kelly, you know, marketing now more than ever has all been about provable performance. And so sometimes that can almost militate against innovation and pushing boundaries. So how did you as a marketing leader contribute to a culture of innovation at an organisation that serves so many customer types across so many cultures? Now, I've got two points to make on this. I suppose, you know, how we went about contributing or how I went about contributing to a culture of innovation was a mixture of things. First of all, really listening deeply to that vast stakeholder network, many of whom have unique and culturally appropriate ways of going about things. So consulting with the groups that we worked with, in our case, you know, we, we had a lot of deep learning to do around working with um, people with disability in those communities, working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So we consulted, we listened, we involved those groups in decision-making and innovation. We tested and learned, we learned quickly and iterated. And I think it was just really bringing all of those stakeholder groups as appropriate into the innovation process. But I think the other point that I'd like to make is that as a marketing leader, there are so many new shiny things that come up from an innovation standpoint all of the time. I'm thinking now, right now about NFTs, for example. And I think that whilst you need to have an open-mindedness and agility to explore opportunities for innovation, I think that you've got to remain focused as well on getting the basics right when it comes to the customer experience. And I know that for us at Australian Unity, sometimes, you know, in the enthusiasm for innovation, it's easy to lose sight of, hang on, have we actually got the core customer experience right? Can they go about doing the basics right? So I think contributing to a culture of innovation is both adopting some of those principles I've spoken about whilst keeping a steady eye on hygiene, if you like, and making sure that we weren't neglecting some of the basic levers to customer satisfaction. 
that spirit of innovation and how that's playing out in Movember and future roles, how do you see your role in that playing out? You're right, Phil. Movember's won awards actually for like innovation awards, which really is a testament to the incredible team of people that we've got, you know, engaged and involved in the organisation around the world. And also it goes somewhat to the permission the brand has created for itself to test the limits, to try new things and to have a unique voice and perspective, particularly when it comes to innovation. So I think that, you know, I mean, our our role on the board there is obviously you can support innovation even through things like our risk appetite when it comes to certain things. So we're sort of very encouraging of the team, as I said, to really um, own that space of being brave and in some cases irreverent and exploring new technologies and innovations. But I think what Movember does really well, and it sort of goes to my earlier point, is focus innovation on where we know it matters most. So we've invested a lot at Movember, including just before, you know, this 2022 Movember campaign that's only a few days away, in getting the basics right so our app continues to evolve and iterate because we know that's the centrepiece of our supporter experience. But again, you know, it's also about applying those similar principles I spoke about earlier, listening, learning from those that we're there to support, those that we're engaging with and constantly remaining in tune, you know, of course, with new technologies, customer pain points, being willing to take a chance, but also knowing when to walk away. Indeed. And Kelly, you know, your personal journey has been a, has been a really interesting one as well. And our chairman, Simon Reynolds, has a saying that, that great executives should work harder on themselves than they do on the company, that personal learning journey. Can you tell us about your commitment to working on yourself and how it's contributed to your success? Funnily enough, I was actually listening to a podcast featuring Simon only last week and was really inspired by what's clearly quite a detailed and disciplined approach to his personal development and daily practices. So you know, I look at him as somewhat aspirational. And you, feel know some of, you know, the personal journey that I've gone on in my life with a few things that have shaped my approach to life and, and how to go about things. But look, I mean, I think Simon's spot on. You know, I think that the more we can work on ourselves and learn, the more successful we can be in terms of the impact that we can have on people and organisations. We're all learning and and evolving continually, you know, whether it's how we show up as leaders, how we think and solve problems, you know, our open-mindedness to new ways of getting things done, new technologies, obviously, and, and, you know, never more so than now, being faced with extraordinarily difficult market conditions. So I'm a big believer in constantly becoming better, learning from mistakes. And for me, you know, I've been really careful, particularly after, you know, a few key moments in my life to really supporting my own personal development is about who I surround myself with in my life, you know, the types of information that I consume. So I'm a really enthusiastic podcast um, listener, for example, things that I find inspiring, nurturing, etc. So I think, you know, to Simon's point, Working harder on ourselves than on our company, in turn, puts us in a much better position to make a better contribution. I think that we can become more well-rounded. We can put things in perspective. We can build resilience, kindness and empathy. And all of those things, 
I think are critical to effective leadership and overall success. Mm, indeed. Thank you, Kelly. I just wanted to ask you some questions about the CMO role in particular. And this role quite often struggles to get traction in the C-suite. It's sometimes referred to as the colouring in department. And that's especially the case with either manufacturing or FMCG-driven organisations. Can you share an aspect of how you ensured that you, as a CMO, had the support and deference of the Australian Unity C-suite? Yeah, look, you're spot on, Phil. And in my career, I've seen, you know, varying degrees of that perception across most organisations. You know, some are much more advanced along the journey in terms of positioning the marketing team as a growth driver and others less so. I think for Australian Unity, I spoke earlier about, you know, a lot of the work really being done from the inside out, which is a nod to the fact that, you know, despite our heritage and longevity, having been around for such a long time at Australian Unity, we were fairly early in our journey of understanding marketing as a growth driver. So, you know, for me, I think Number one, it was a long play. <laughs> it's definitely not something that um, was achieved um, or can be achieved quickly. It's about building trust and, and respect with all st stakeholders. And largely, you know, the way that I went about that was putting data, evidence and insights at the centre of the conversations, but also presenting information to the C-suite and the board in a way that mattered to them, namely, you know, speaking commercially, not using marketing speak and lingo, but drilling down into core business metrics, you know, things like EBIT, ROI, revenue, um, NPS, those sorts of things that the organisation already understood and respected. I think the other thing, and this was certainly key, you know, in my time at Australian Unity, was being able and comfortable to present ideas in the face of contrary opinion, being willing to persevere and not being disillusioned, you know, when roadblocks came up. And I'm talking big roadblocks to actually getting things done. So for me, it was having difficult conversations, but in a respectful and objective evidence-based way, being prepared to keep, if you like, um, not prosecuting the case, but um, to persevere, to really get beneath, you know, any issues that might be holding people back from, you know, greater investment, for example, in marketing and playing that long game, offering more visibility and reporting on things like impact, the implications of scaling back marketing spend, et cetera. So I think, you know, relationship building, data and evidence and perseverance were really important in changing that perception. Kelly, can you, in a question that's a corollary to that in one sense, can you tell us something that contributed to your success as a marketing head that you feel is not commonly understood by current and particularly aspiring CMOs or marketing directors or marketing managers? Yes, certainly. So, I mean, I would reiterate that, you know, quality, trusted and respected relationships is key, perseverance is key, but I think, you know, a really important point I'd like to make, I would often, you know, encourage my team with this idea, was about creating the dialogue. Um, and so what I mean by that is, 
Some of the portfolios that I took on in my time at Australian Unity, I wasn't given a brief or a set necessarily of very specific deliverables or measures, but rather what I did was actually present to the company and create the dialogue around the opportunity and things that they hadn't actually even thought of. So rather than just making do with the budget that was inherited or perhaps the way that the organisation had historically looked at the role of brand, for example, was actually starting new conversations, discussion, and in some cases, debates around a different way of thinking about opportunities. And that in and of itself drove so much of the great work that we're able to do and so much of the investment that the organisation started to make was by creating the dialogue. Well, we certainly saw that in the work that we did together. It was edgy work. And I believe that your influence with the executive was partly responsible for us being able to do that kind of work that really made a difference. So we certainly saw that in droves during the time we worked together. Kelly, could you touch on some of the things that you would have done more of as a marketing leader to date and a couple of the things that you might have done less of? Yeah, sure. I think what I would have done more of looking back is probably place fewer bigger bets, maybe. I think, you know, as a marketing capability and team, you know, marketing teams are under lots of pressure from lots of different avenues to pretty much do everything, sometimes, you know, at more of a tactical level or a reactive level. And I think this certainly evolved. But looking back earlier in my marketing career, I probably would have done more of being disciplined and rifle shot, if you like, in the things that we did and didn't focus on and the things that we say no to. I think in terms of less of, it's probably related to that. Less of, you know, I mean, I was on a, I guess, you know, I had a really concerted effort at Australian Unity to really drive a systemic change in doing less of the busy work. Again, this comes back to the conversation around, you know, data and impact and evidence, but just less of the stuff that fundamentally isn't having an impact either on business or more importantly, on the customer. And do you think that through the insights that you've gained, there have been some failures that you've experienced and identified that have in actual fact contributed to your success? Oh, look, there's been many <laughs> over, <laughs> the, over the 25 years of my career thus far, and I'm sure there'll be many more. And I think you're right, you know, looking back, a lot of those do ultimately contribute to success. So things like, you know, examples that come up for me without, you know, going into the detail are things like business cases that you put your heart and soul into, you put lots of research and work into. You know, you and I feel in your team, we went through this in modelling out complex cases and sometimes, you know, they don't get up for various reasons outside of your control. And, you know, what you learn from those, quite aside from the perseverance that I know has been a theme in our chat today for me, is just, you know, different levers to get, get things done, different ways in which you might be successful next time. And again, that just resilience that I think is absolutely required when you're a CMO today. 
I think the other thing, and they're not failures, but certainly, you know, personal life challenges, whether that's health related or or whatever might be, can also help contribute to your success in helping to put things in perspective and put a focus on what's important. And I think failures um, and or things that didn't go well really help to bring about new ways of thinking about things, lessons on how to approach things differently next time etc. So for me, I think they're often blessings in disguise. Yes. Sometimes it's hard to realise that when they're happening to you though, isn't it? It is. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, we touched earlier on about a very strong guiding principle of yours, which is integrity, personal and business integrity. But do you have other guiding principles, a set of core values that you used in your approach during your time as an executive leader at Australian Unity? And does that spill over into relationships with people you work with, whether that be internally or with agencies or other providers, research companies that you've worked with? Yeah, for sure, Phil. I think, um, and this isn't in order of importance, one thing that I know I sort of love to bring to the workplace and infuse into my team and agency partnerships as well is a sense of fun, firstly. You know, if we can't have a laugh and a good time as a team as we're trying to achieve good things, then for me, that's not an environment that brings out the best. And, you know, some of the best teams that I've led and being a part of, have a great sense of fun and laughter, and that includes agency relationships. I think another core value for me is transparency and no surprises. And this, you know, links, I think, to that integrity principle, but, you know, and I'm sure you could could attest that, you know, in an agency relationship environment, it's about being open and honest about expectations, about what's worked, what hasn't. Linked to that, I mean, is a sense of, you know, commitment to quality and excellence. So I think in an agency type relationship, knowing how to or when to respectfully challenge and push harder when I know that we're not there yet. And that's a reciprocal thing, you know, where our agencies were equally invited to push us when we weren't there yet. And I think, you know, just just a guiding principle of and I don't want to sort of spit out here corny lines around, you know, teamwork, but I do think understanding and respecting that everyone's got a role to play and taking the whole team on the journey was probably really core to how I approach my time at both at Australian Unity but also to the agency relationships. And celebrating the wins probably mm. is the final thing I'd say is so important because the failures happen and I find culturally in many organisations, they're the things that financial reporting and performance conversations can sometimes focus on, but actually really taking the time as agency partners, team members to, to sort of know when to stop and acknowledge a job well done. It is hard, isn't it? In agency land, it often feels like, wow, you know, that was great. Now we need to deliver. And um, and we need the next one. So yes. yeah, it can be a, a never-ending kind of treadmill and you're the hamster, but sometimes <laughs> you right. do need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Kelly, what is the most important thing that you see on the economic or business horizon that marketers are going to need to deal with in the near future? Look, I think there's probably two key themes I'd call out. And the first one I'm going to talk about probably isn't the first that would spring to mind for a lot of people. And it comes from the perspective, thinking about 
in particular service organisations like Australian Unity, and it's about workforce. So it's about the fact that businesses who are literally providing a physical service to customers, and in Australian Unity's case, that's going into people's homes and providing home care on a daily basis. It's having a workforce to provide care in residential communities. You know, the workforce challenge is such a significant headwind at the moment where quite simply the demand significantly exceeds supply. And so the complexity from a marketing point of view is if you actually don't have the people on the ground, and that, that's not just a COVID-related issue, that's scale and just um, the fact that the, the people aren't available in the numbers required to fulfil the demands of that sector. From a marketing perspective, you know, that puts so much pressure on, at the end of the day, getting right down to the customer value proposition itself and whether or not you have the capacity to do what you say you're going to do and to walk the talk. So workforce, I think, is going to be, is and is going to continue to be a significant challenge for many organisations. And I think the second one is an obvious one, and that's economic headwinds. So we're obviously dealing with enormous inflation, rising interest rates, drop in housing values, etc., and a looming potential recession in key markets around the world. And so that puts significant pressure on businesses and, and marketers from the point of view of demand for products and services generally, but also crimped budgets for marketing spend as organisations tighten their belts. And, you know, the risk, as we all know, as marketers is that difficult financial times shouldn't mean completely curtailed or removed marketing spend. There's a long and a short play, as we all know, to keep brands healthy. And I hence think there's greater pressure for marketers to argue the case for investment when organisations are looking to cut costs and often marketing, again, depending on the marketing maturity of the organisation, is one of the first places that businesses look. It is funny, hard times are the easiest time to build market share, but that's a hard conversation to have when people are being put off. Mm. <laughs> it's it's, it's, a, it's right. a really difficult conundrum for, for many organisations who can see opportunities, but just almost there's a moral conundrum there as to are we going to invest in building market share during this tough time versus are we going to keep our workforce? And, and so they are really challenging decisions. Kelly, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the rise of the CMO and the marketing head as technology has really connected organisations more closely with their customers. And with marketing being at the forefront of that connectedness and the data that is informing organisations about their strategies, how do you see the role of marketing leaders evolving today? And how do you see agency partners evolving with them? Look, it's interesting because as technology and AI and all of those things evolved, certainly there's a level of literacy that marketers and agencies will need to continue to keep fresh around data, new technologies, etc. But fundamentally, the way I look at it, the role of the marketer has always 
ultimately been about understanding the customer and target audiences, understanding where and how they consume information, how they want to be communicated with, and what sorts of offers and experiences will help them to solve their problems. And in this day and age, technology and digital are intrinsic to that. So by virtue of that evolution, as I said earlier, that literacy needs to evolve. I think obviously keeping across data, privacy, you know, that's clearly highly topical at the moment with some of the big corporate hacks that have happened and and will continue to. But the role of detailed data in the design of marketing and customer experiences is really critical, but then that's potentially going to be at odds with privacy constraints, um, et cetera. So I think, you know, there's a deep level of understanding and education and literacy that we as marketers and agencies are going to need to undertake. I think the other thing that's really important though, and I was chatting with someone only a couple of days ago, and the example was someone they knew who was an elderly person had been told in an aged care home that they were in that there was this fantastic digital experience for them. And the person was a little bit shocked because, you know, it really didn't go to the heart of what they were looking for as a customer. And so I think to your question around how do I see the role of marketing leaders evolving, I think it's while keeping across all of the emerging technologies and opportunities, not adopting some of those things at the expense of ultimately what a customer wants and needs. And I think that's core. You know, if we can remain fundamentally loyal to truly being, you know, customer focused in our decision making, then we can sort of get a good balance between that literacy and data and AI and tech with delivering excellent and appropriate customer experiences. It is interesting, isn't it? Because so much of the promise of technology is around stripping out cost. And sometimes that can be at odds with the delivery of a really compelling user experience or customer experience. And I would imagine that those would be arguments that you would have a lot. Oh, absolutely. And again, that's why it's so important that we don't have those discussions and debates in an echo chamber, it's about bringing our customers and our stakeholder groups into those conversations because sometimes it's so easy to drink the Kool-Aid and listen to the new shiny tech presentation or data opportunity. I've seen teams roaming around with AI goggles on, for example, getting really excited. And there is a time and there is absolutely a place for these fantastic opportunities, as you say, to cut out cost or to elevate experience, but it's making sure that, as I say, it's always grounded in the customer. The CMO really needs to be the customer's champion within an organisation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, look, I do. And it's interesting being um, in an organisation like Australian Unity, where particularly when you're delivering customer experiences physically through large workforces of many thousands and thousands of employees, I think everyone has a role to play in understanding customers, and certainly that was the view of the business. But I think definitely the evolution of the CMO to the CXO as the chief experience officer or the chief customer officer or whatever it wants to be called, I definitely see the role as being the core steward for customers 
and building out education of that and understanding of that within the organisation itself. Kelly, we're out of time now, and I just wanted to wrap up by saying thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been just a really, really interesting CMO masterclass and just highlights your very, very high level of competence in this area. And I'm sure that the insights that you've shared will be of tremendous value to people who are in the CMO role already, but even more so for those who aspire to make a great career in marketing and wind up in the C-suite helping to shape companies' futures. So Kelly, thank you so much. It's just been a delight. Likewise, Phil, thank you so much for the opportunity. And just in closing, listen out for the next CMO Masterclass, which will be coming up in around about six weeks from now. Can't expose who that is at the moment, but it'll be hopefully as inspiring as Kelly's time with us today. Thank you again, Kelly. Thanks, Phil. That's it for this edition of CMO Masters. Click the link for a transcript of this interview. I look forward to you joining me again for the next edition of CMO Masterclass.